You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Let's open up God's Word to Mark chapter 6. The ushers would love to bring you a Bible. Just slide your hand up if you don't have a Bible here. Uh, go ahead, and uh, they'll bring you one, so just signal to them, and you'll have one coming for you. Um, I'm going to take my jacket off, because I think that's what's going on here. So if you're new with us here this morning, we want to know that you are so welcome among us. We love that you have chosen to worship with us today here at Redemption. Uh, I know that uh, our church is kind of hidden here in the south. We pop up on Sunday mornings at 9.30. There's a few signs out on the road. So in many ways, uh, people don't know that we are here. So if you have found us, we are so overjoyed that you are with us this morning. Uh, More than that, we want you to know that we love Jesus. We love his word. We love God's holy word. We believe that God wrote the Bible. He wrote all 66 books to us. They're all inspired by, by the Lord through men for us. And it is our hope in this life and the life to come. And so we hang on every word of the Holy Bible, just as the scriptures say in 2 Peter 1.19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Friends, without the word of God, we are lost in the darkness and we have no hope. And so as you join us in the word here this morning, we have hope. And as you open that Bible before you, understand that it is fully inspired, it is fully true, it is fully right, it is fully sufficient, and it is always relevant, always. We don't have to make it relevant. And it's relevant for each one of us here this morning, no matter your color, no matter your background, no matter your culture, your your age, his word for us is always true and always So like I said, it it doesn't matter your color, your background, your culture, your age. The word is powerful and it is for you. And so as we turn to Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13 this morning, I want to ask you if you've ever heard this quote before. It's going to be on the screen behind me. And it's expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Anybody ever heard that before? No? It's a pretty popular Christian quote. It's been around for a long time. In fact, it goes all the way back to the 1700s to Nottingham, England. A fiery young preacher way back in the 1790s uh, went by the name William Carey. He was a pastor of a church and, uh, and he's also now commonly referred to as the father of modern missions. And Carey was so disturbed by the lack of mission-mindedness in his fellow Christians that he wrote wrote a bold article, a bold article arguing that the great commission given by Jesus to his disciples applies to all Christians at all times and that his fellow Christians in England were ignoring him. He argued that multitudes, there'll be a quote behind me, multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners who to this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. He's saying that to his own church people, that they didn't believe that it was their job to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. 
Well, friends, that quote was 230 years ago. And I wonder if William Carey was here today, what he would say about us, about our culture, our Christian culture. Well, if you know William Carey's story well, you know that he believed in the Great Commission. He believed in making disciples of all nations. And he started the very first modern missionary society, never looking back, and he set sail for India in 1792. And in that mission, he suffered much for his endeavors to share the good news with the unreached in India. And his mission at that time was illegal. It was extremely dangerous. Uh, in his mission, he lost a five-year-old son to dysentery. His first wife suffered a nervous breakdown, and, and later she died after her child, a second child was born. And then his second wife also died on the mission field, and then he lost another son. And he was often criticized, even by his own mission agency that he founded. And get this, it took him seven years before he baptized his first Indian convert. Seven years. It was tough ground. But the truth was, friends, William Carey expected great things from God, and he attempted great things for God. So let me ask you, what are we at Redemption Calgary South attempting for God? Are we attempting great things for the Great Commission? Well, last week in chapter 6, verse 7 to 12, uh, Jesus' disciples witnessed him being ridiculed, resisted, and rejected by his own people. Are still muted? And then we also see that he had a time also to retreat. All right, so today in verses 7 to 13, we're going to see a major shift in Jesus' mission with his disciples. We're going to see it moving from him doing his work alone to sending them out, sending his disciples out to do his work. And so we're going to witness the first mission. And then we're going to see how that applies to our mission today as Redemption South. So we're going we're gonna to read in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is open before us and that your word is holy. We thank you that you've wrote these 66 books directly to your people so that we can come to know you, to worship you, to abide in you. But even more than that, to know that you use us and you send us out. And so today, in this sermon today, as we look at your word, as we see your disciples going out, being sent out, Lord, would you work on our hearts as well? Would you cause deep conviction in our soul for the lost around us, those who are dying every day? And Lord, even more than that, we want to do this for your glory. 
We are here for you this morning. We are here for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so we ask you to tra transform our hearts, renew our minds, make us to be more like you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I don't know if you noticed, but if you give a one-armed guy a microphone, I'm even more disabled than I can be. So anyhow, I might have to put my mic down a little bit. But uh, uh, So Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. We see here the mission doesn't end with Christ. His plan has always been from the very beginning to fulfill his ministry to the ends of the earth through people. How are we to do it? Well, as we study this very first mission given to the disciples here, we're going to learn four mission-critical truths here this morning. And the first critical mission truth we see is that we must multiply. We must multiply. God's mission requires gospel replication. So as Jesus last week was marveling at the unbelief of those in Nazareth, those in his hometown, back in verse 6, we saw that he responded to their unbelief by retreating. Remember, he healed few. And so he retreated because what? Because the gospel has to advance. And so he chose to leave the area. And he went about the villages teaching. And then verse 7 today, he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. God's mission requires gospel replication. So as you can recall, earlier in Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 15, Jesus already appointed 12 of his disciples, right, to become apostles. Verse 13, he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with them, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So as Jesus chose these, these 12 ordinary men, they were those whom he desired. He's been bringing them along on his ministry for training, and the time has now come for a critical change, a critical step in their training, which we see here this morning. This is replication. This is delegation. This is multiplication. Verse 7 says that he called the 12, and he began to send them out. And so as Jesus had originally called his disciples, remember from the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 17, he, he calls them to, to follow him. He says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The fishing apprenticeship is moving from theory and from observation to practicum. They're going to get their hands dirty. And again, I love that, how I see the training of the disciples here, that it's hands-on. They're not just reading about something. They're not just gaining knowledge. They're not just thinking about how they can do it. Jesus knows better. In, in many ways, Jesus is the ultimate journeyman. He safely lets them observe up to this point, observing his work, right? Watching him do the amazing things he does and listening to his teaching. And then we see now that he is taking the risk of sending them out. He sends them out to represent himself to multiply his efforts in Galilee. And the text says here that he sends them out two by two. Now, this sending out two by two, uh, it keeps with Old Testament tradition. 
Ecclesiastes 4.9, that two are better than one. Uh, Deuteronomy 19.15, a matter must be established by two or three witnesses, which is really interesting in that, that he's hearkening back to some of this Old Testament tradition. But I think even more than that, in a real practical sense, we see Jesus taking his 12 disciples, sending them out two by two to immediately and practically multiply his gospel effectiveness. And we see that here. He's multiplying his effectiveness sixfold. So more hands, more feet, more mouths going in word and deed for the kingdom of God. More work is getting done. And with that, we see there's urgency here. More work is getting done in the time that is at hand. So we see Jesus here sending them out. He doesn't simply trust that they know enough or that they're strong enough. No, he also especially equips them for the task at hand. We see that here. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So they were especially, they were specially empowered by his spirit to cast out evil spirits just like Jesus. Also, if you look at the, par- the parallel text in Luke chapter 9, verse 2, it says he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So it's preaching and it's healing. And so we see that the disciples are given special power to represent Jesus, to have the same compassion, to heal the lost, and to preach the kingdom of God. So just think about that for a moment. Remember that these are pretty big boots to fill, right? Pretty big boots to fill by fishermen, by tax collectors, by just ordinary men. And now they're going out and they're doing the same things that Jesus did. Remember, these men weren't special, right? They were just ordinary men. And even at this stage in their apprenticeship, they were still quite young in their faith. They were young in their understanding of who Jesus was, and they had much learning to do, and we're going to see that in the rest of the Gospel of Mark. But we see Jesus here sending them out, trusting in God's will and in God's power, and he sends them out anyway. One commentator says this shows us that the fulfillment of the word of God depends not on the perfection or the merit of the missionary, but on the authoritative call and the equipping of Jesus. Friends, attempting great things for God starts right now. It starts right now. You may be growing in your faith, but along the way, we can still be attempting great things for Jesus Christ. And so we see here, in a a relative short time that, that these disciples are with him, we see Jesus shifting the mission, shifting the work onto his disciples sharing the load of work, replicating himself into 12 ordinary men. And then we see him delegating them to go, empowering them to go. They've been watching him. They've been seeing him do all these things all along. What's going on here is gospel multiplication. And like I said at the beginning of this sermon, this has been God's plan from the very beginning, to send his son, right, Yes, to send Jesus Christ to live and to die and to rise from the grave, but also in his three years that he has to call up, as we see here, to raise up, to train up, and to send out his very own representatives to fulfill his mission in the world. 
God's plan for the world's redemption is never to be completed by himself. Not that he couldn't do it. He definitely could. But what we see here is the beauty of the privilege of what God enables us and empowers us to do. He multiplies his powerful gospel into us in order that the world would be saved by their or saved from their sin. That's his will. That's his way. That's his plan. And friends, he still does that today. He's still doing that today. The gospel mission today requires multiplication. And his mission today is fulfilled through faulty yet faith-filled disciples like you and me. Brothers and sisters, the mission at hand is not a solo effort. It's not a solo effort. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? William Carey understood this. He got this. He understood that, and it pushed him towards his, his mission way back in the 1700s. And this truth is, is just as real today as it was back for him and also all the way back to Mark chapter 6. God's plan for redemption has not changed. And it will not change until every last sinner in this world is saved. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. A testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. There's much work left to do. How will somebody hear? How will somebody believe? unless there is a preacher. How will they preach unless they are sent? And we are sent. This mission truth compelled William Carey to risk everything, everything for the kingdom of God. As Christ was multiplied into him, he didn't hoard that to himself, and he also didn't engage the mission all by himself. He multiplied Christ into others. This is gospel multiplication. So we need to get this. So what does this look, right, look like right now in our church? How do we engage this? Well, first of all, we need to understand we're not apostles. Any apostles out there? If you're an apostle, I'm going to have to talk with you after. Uh, Jesus' 12 disciples who were apostles, uh, they belong to a special group that Jesus specially empowered that took place during the apostolic age. They were, given, they were given apostolic power, given authority as we see here. A couple weeks ago we talked about this. We said the purpose of their signs and miracles of the apostles was to do what? It was to affirm the message that they were sharing with the world. Right? You and I don't have these same powers today. We don't have that same authority today. That was exclusive for that time. God was writing his word. And as his Bible was completed in the first century, so was apostleship. But what are we today? Today we are disciples. We are word-guided, spirit-filled disciples. Jesus' powerful presence always goes with us, right? What did he say? He said, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. 
He's always with us by his abiding Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit is always intrinsically connected to his Holy Word. And so in in every sense, we have the same authority going with us and even more. It's God's word that is with us and his spirit. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. And so as Jesus multiplied himself into his apostles and gives them power and authority, and he sends them out on this mission, so you and me are transformed by him, and Christ is multiplied into us and into each other, but we don't stop there. We don't stop there. We must also send each other out. That's why we put on our banners. We are a worshiping church. But we don't stop there. We are ascending church. We're here to multiply Christ into each other so that we can multiply Christ into the world. And so how do we do this? Well, we do this by multiplying and discipling one another. Friends, true disciples are disciple makers. It's not an option. We must multiply. Just as Paul instructs young Timothy in in 2 Timothy 2.2. He says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Men multiplying Christ into one another and, and then going, teaching. And it's not just men. This goes with the women as well. Titus 2, 3, 4. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women. It's a whole church effort. So here at Redemption, we believe in this. We believe in intentionally doing things to engage the gospel and to disciple one another. That's why we have small groups. We have small groups to make disciples, to form Christ into one another, to equip one another, to challenge one another to attempt great things for God. That's why we do that. That's why we have youth group. That's why we do children's ministry. We're not here to entertain. We're here to form Christ into one another. That's what we do. We have men's and women's ministries to do that as well. We're here to make disciples, and it's something that we all need to understand. And then also outside of the plans and the programs and the events of the church, we need to see this gospel multiplying cycle needs to be engaged by each one of us individually. Every one of us. Every person here. Not only during church-led activities, but as a natural outflow of your supernatural transformation. That you amidst all of the distractions of life, all of the things that are keeping us busy, that we would stop, that we would look around us and see individuals all around us in our church and in the world and that they need to be discipled, that Christ needs to be formed in them, to see the lost redeemed, 
the redeemed matured. And the mature multiplied all to the glory of Jesus Christ. So please listen to me, friends. I think sometimes we overcomplicate this. I think we make it too hard sometimes. And it really doesn't have to be. All it takes is you growing in the Lord and turning around and sharing that with other people. Sharing your life with them. Sharing your transformed life with them. Sharing the word of God with them. It's not that complicated. Yes, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. And yes, it takes intentionality. But more than that, what it takes is a heart that understands the mission of Jesus Christ. And so let's ask ourselves, if I say that I'm a disciple, and because we understand that a disciple is is a disciple maker, who am I making into a disciple right now? As I look behind myself, as I'm walking my spiritual life, who's walking behind me? And then who's walking behind that person? As I share my life and I pour God's word into somebody else, is there somebody there behind me? And not just my kids. Other people, neighbors, friends, co-workers, the lost. That's the way it works. On and on and on it goes. It's not that complicated. It really isn't. It's about knowing God's word, your life being transformed by him, and you turning around and loving somebody else by sharing that with them. You know, in the Calgary area, we have about 1.4 million people. Some say we have more than that. And uh, numbers show us that about 5%, 5% of those people believe in Jesus as their Savior. It's a pretty small percentage. And so when we look at those numbers, the mission ahead of us seems daunting, doesn't it? It seems extremely challenging. Why would we even try? Are we going to get anywhere? It's daunting. But then when you look at how Jesus multiplied himself into his disciples, and they, then they multiplied themselves into other disciples, it's not that daunting. I quickly crunched some numbers yesterday. Just listen to this. So if each one of us here, every one of us here who calls this church home, if each one of us, if each one of us made one disciple this year, if we all made one disciple this year, and then the following year, all of those disciples and us again, if we all made one more disciple, the challenge is not that daunting. Do you know that it would take 14 years, just over 14 years, to see 1.4 million people come to Christ? The power of one. 14 years to see 1.4 million people become disciples of Christ. And then take that even further to the ends of the earth. So let me ask you, who is that one person? Who is that one person you've got your eyes on to disciple? Be praying about that and get after it. Who are you making into a disciple? Who's the one? Luke 15, 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The angels. God loves it when one sinner turns to him. And so we see Jesus here multiplying himself. 
Let us consider how we are going to multiply as well and consider the power of one. We must multiply. God's mission requires gospel replication. And so as Jesus sends out each pair of his disciples here in the text, sends them out to preach and sends them out to heal and to multiply his work in Galilee, verse 8 is going to reveal more mission-critical truth for us. Verse 8. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Brothers and sisters, what we see here is that God's mission is dependent on God through gospel generosity. Therefore, we must depend. We must depend. God's mission depends on gospel generosity. So here we see Jesus. He's charging, he's commanding his disciples about some crucial details for the mission ahead. And his command to them is not to list all of the provisions and supplies that they're going to need in order to survive, but rather it's a command to take only what's on their backs and to leave the rest to God. It's a critical mission truth. I don't know about you, but when Kim and I pack for a a trip or a journey, we make a list. We make a list of all the things that we're going to need and all the things that we want in order to survive the trip in comfort, to be comfortable along the way. We used to live in northern British Columbia. That's our our hometown area. And we would travel to Louisville, Kentucky, or to Chicago, Illinois for training. And we used to pack our vehicles so tight that we would joke that we couldn't even slide a piece of paper in at the end. It's true. We had all of our clothing, we had all of our outerwear, we had our shoes, we had our boots, we had our toiletries, we had our everyday supplies, we had our dog, we had all of his stuff, we had our boys, and and they had their stuff. We had our games, we had our tools, we had our crafts. We had everything that we thought we would need for the journey. And so as we look at Jesus' command here to his disciples to take nothing except what's on their backs... This just goes against our instincts. This goes against all of our instincts here. Jesus is sending them out for for who knows how long. They don't even know. And he's teaching them critical mission truth here. He tells them they're to take nothing except the staff they have in their hand, the tunic that they're wearing on their back, and one pair of sandals. That's it. One pair of shoes. Some of you ladies are freaking out right now. And the rest of us guys are like, what's the problem? One pair of shoes, one tunic, one staff. And even more than that, they're not to take any food. No bread. No bag. So they wouldn't be tempted to fill it. No money. Right? No ability to even buy food. And no extra tunic for the cold nights. All they were left with was the bare minimums. They wouldn't be able to survive with what Jesus left them. 
But again, he's teaching them something. He's teaching them mission-critical truth that they are to be fully dependent on him. And that's scary. The scary truth. Imagine what they were thinking. This would be easier if Jesus was with us. We've seen him do all kinds of miracles. But Jesus wasn't going with them. He was staying behind. Wasn't the case here. that He's not going with them. He's sending them out two by two. Jesus is going as well on his own mission. And so I imagine that they're a little bit concerned here. And how are they to be fully dependent on God? As you think of these 12 disciples, I want you to think back to the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a very important connection. Remember that they were enslaved to Egypt. But God was coming to save them, right? And remember the Passover instructions in Exodus 12. They were to kill a lamb, and they were to paint his blood on the doorposts. And then they were to eat that lamb hastily. Listen to this in Exodus 12, verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. So we see they they were instructed to have their belt on, which obviously was around their cloak, their sandals on and ready to go, and their staff in their hands, bringing no food for the great exodus. They were to be fully dependent on God in the wilderness for 40 years, trusting the very presence of God among them to care for them. And that's what he did, right? Remember, their shoes and their clothing didn't even wear out. Love that connection. There's lots of meaning going on there with the 12 disciples and the 12 tribes. God, as God took care of Israel in the desert, Jesus is going to care for his disciples and supply their every need. But how is he going to do that? Verse 10 reveals how. Verse 10, and he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Friends, verse 10 shows us how he's going to care for them. They can be fully dependent on God because his plan to provide will come through his people. Everything they need will come from those who welcome them, those who receive them, God's people. They don't need to bring bread because God's going to provide bread through his people. They don't need a bag for extra stuff because God's people will provide all the extras that they're going to need. They don't have an extra cloak because God's people will bring them into their warm homes and give them a warm bed. They don't need money because God's people will faithfully supply all of their needs. That's how God cares for his disciples who are on mission. That's how he provides for the mission is through his people. The disciples can go confidently into the unknown because God will fully provide every need through what? Through his people. And so we as a church, specifically a church plant, we're a church on mission. All churches should be on mission, but it's just just really magnified in a church plant, right? We need to believe this critical truth as well. 
We need to be fully dependent that God will provide for the mission of our church, trusting that he is fully able to do so, but also understanding that this means that he's going to do that through the faithfulness and the generosity of God's people. All of us. All of us who call this church home. So I've been highlighting uh, the mission efforts of William Carey at the beginning of this sermon. You also need to know another name, a man by the name of Andrew Fuller. Andrew Fuller was Carey's faithful mission partner. They started the Baptist Missionary Society together. They started it in Andrew's home. And Andrew Fuller was, was, uh, was in charge of gathering all the support for the mission. And as William Carey was was heading out to India, he said to Fuller and to a small group of his supporters, and he was speaking in a bit of an analogy about mining or going down a well. And he says to them, well, I will go down if you will hold the rope. Andrew Fuller replied, whilst we lived, we should never let go of the rope. Brothers and sisters, we must depend on God's provision for the mission. But God's mission depends on gospel generosity. A couple weeks ago, I sent out a a video update highlighting where we are as a church, where we are financially, and, and that we are behind, right? If you haven't watched that video, I commend that you go do so. But one thing I mentioned is, is that if we all, if we all do our part in giving, in going, we're going to have no problem. God, God's going to provide well for us, but it depends on God's people. We must depend on God, but God's mission depends on gospel generosity. Now, on top of equipping and the promise to provide, Jesus gives his disciples another critical mission truth. Verse 11. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Which leads us to point three. We must discern. We must discern. God's mission evaluates gospel efforts. So if you remember last week, Jesus was ridiculed. He was resisted. He was rejected by his hometown. And do you remember how he responded? He marveled at their unbelief, and then what did he do? He retreated. He went on to other villages teaching. It was a lesson for his watching disciples. Not to keep spinning their gospel tires, but to get to higher ground where God is moving. Verse 11, we see Jesus giving his disciples some tools of discernment. He says, if they will not receive you or listen to you when you leave, right? If they will not receive you or listen to you, it's assumed when you leave. So we see that the reception of Christ's messengers and the hearing of the message are determining factors of whether or not they are to stay or retreat. Again, like like last week, we, we applied this like a fishing hole. 
right? If you fished out a hole and there's no more fish, you move on to the hole where there's some fish. And so we see the disciples are to go on from village to village. They're, they're to be looking for spiritually open people with spiritually open ears, right? Ears. Let those who have ears hear. And if they find that kind of faith, they are to stay and to minister and to be content. But if they don't find that, they're to leave. And when they leave, Jesus instructs them to do something very interesting here. He says, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. This is also an old Jewish custom. As a Jew would travel into foreign pagan lands, and then they would come home to Israel, they would shake the dust off their feet as to not pollute the holy land. They didn't want to infest the land with pagan pollution. And we see Jesus here using this this custom as a sign of judgment. That those who have not chosen to to hear, those who have rejected his life-giving message, to reject all of his miraculous signs and wonders, it was a sign of judgment against them. That their eternity was in jeopardy. And so the disciples had to discern who was receiving the gospel and who was rejecting it. Who would receive them? Who would welcome them? Who would care for them? And those who would hear them, who would believe the news of the kingdom of God. And then those who would just outright reject them. They were to discern and move on. And so we we see here that we must be discerning as well. We must be discerning because God's mission evaluates God's uh, gospel efforts. So in our pursuits as a church and trying to reach the community, trying to share the gospel with our family, with our friends, and with others, we must be continually evaluating our own gospel efforts. We need to be looking for receptive hearts. We need to be looking for receptive ears. Are we making a difference? Are we penetrating the darkness? Are people coming to Christ? We want this church to be full of people who have been saved by Christ. We want to build this church by conversion. Right? That's how we look in Acts. We see the church is built by people hearing the good news, repenting of their sin, and trusting Jesus. And they added them to the church. Can you think of one person who has come to Christ because of this church? comes down to being bold. Intentional engagement with the lost. Actually believing the power of the gospel to do its work. And I'd say we as a church have barely scratched the surface. We have barely scratched the surface. We have so much more going, so much more probing, so much more sharing of the word of God. Much more proclamation has to be had. We have the good news. We have the good news of eternal healing. As the apostles would heal, we have the good news of eternal healing. 
that the world is lost in darkness and suffering and pain and sin. But they can be forever healed by the power of Jesus Christ. Can we say that we have done everything in our power to reach Seton, to reach Auburn Bay and Mahogany and Cranston, Mackenzie Town, Copperfield, New Brighton? We've barely touched it. And I would say that 99.9% that of people in South Calgary don't even know that we're here. They don't know that we're here. So let's be discerning. Let's be discerning with those who accept us and those who reject us. Within our own personal sphere of influence, let's start thinking about fishing, right? We're called to be fishers of men. What a privilege that is. South Calgary is not a dry hole. There is so much fishing to be had here. So we're trying to make a difference. We're trying to reach the loss, and we're discerning along the way. Sometimes we have to stop certain things that, that aren't producing any fruit, and that's okay. But we're going we're gonna to risk it all for the gospel, and we're going to keep on going, and we're going to be discerning. So God's mission evaluates gospel efforts. So we multiply. We must depend. We must discern. And finally, we must obey. God's mission succeeds only through gospel submission. Verse 12. Verse 12. So they went out. There was no sign of hesitation here. There's no sign of refusal of Jesus' commands. But just faithful submission to obey into the unknown. So they went out. They went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Love that. Write that down. That is our gospel. The gospel is always repentance and faith. That's Mark's gospel. That's Jesus' gospel. That's John the Baptist's gospel. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Verse 13, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and they healed them. So they're doing exactly what Jesus commanded them to do. They were fishing for men. The apprentices have been released to multiply Christ's work, and they were obeying, and they were going. As Jesus anointed them with apostolic power and authority, they were going for him, and he was working through them. Demons were being cast out, just like Jesus did. Many were being healed by them, just like Jesus healed many. And I love that. Many were healed. You see the multiplication efforts here. Jesus was just in Nazareth. Remember it said only a few were healed. The next step, he multiplies himself, and many were healed. Christ multiplied himself into his apostles. The gospel was advancing, and the power of God was on mighty display through these disciples. Friends, this has been the plan before the beginning of time. This is God's will to send his son not only to live and die, but also to train, to equip, and to send out disciples to multiply his work. 
And that's how he's accomplishing his work today. It has not changed. God's mission succeeds through gospel submission. So what does that look like on the ground for us today? Well, very simply, what it means is that we're not just here for ourselves. We're not just here to receive, right? We're not just here to consume. We are here to multiply Christ into each other and then into the world. Do you believe that? Are you obediently embracing the command on your life? It's not a suggestion. Disciples are disciple makers. Take a look at this picture behind me. Which one of these boats best represents how you are approaching the church? Is it more of a cruise ship that offers awesome services, great comfort, all the bells and whistles? Or is it like the battleship? We are a battleship. The church of Jesus Christ is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. We have a war that we are waging against the darkness, empowered by Christ and his spirit, by his word. What a privilege. It's not a cruise ship. It may feel that way in those soft seats you have out there. But it's a battleship. We are called to die to ourselves, to equip each other, to put on the what? The armor of God. You don't put on armor to sit in a chair and enjoy the entertainment. You put on the armor of God because there is a war. There is a war against Satan, against the world, against the flesh. People are dying in their sin every day. And God gets glory when one sinner comes to him in repentance. Yes, we need to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. We need to be abiding in him. But the end game of abiding in Christ is never staying just there. It's always getting up on your feet and obediently going for him. That's his plan. That's his will. If you have a problem with his plan, you've got to take that up with him. That is his will. He doesn't see it any other way. That's why he said to his disciples, I will make you fishers of men. He didn't just say, I'm going to teach you about fishing. He said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He's multiplying his efforts into the world. That's how his mission is completed. So I'm going to ask you, are you in? Are you in on that? Are you obeying Jesus Christ in his command for you to go for him? William Carey spent 41 consecutive years of his life in India. He didn't even return to England. He and his colleagues translated the entire Bible into Bengali, Oriya, Marathi, Hindi, Assamese, Sanskrit, and they took portions of Scripture and translated them into 209 other languages and dialects. He started a theological college in Sarampore that is still in operation today. And it said that just by the personal interaction, the personal witness of William Carey, 700 Indians 
converted, repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ. 700. And then thousands of missionaries have been inspired by him to go to the ends of the earth. What about us? What about Calgary? Are we obediently going for him? We must multiply. God's mission requires gospel replication. We must depend. God's mission depends on gospel generosity. We must discern. God's mission evaluates gospel efforts. We must obey. God's mission succeeds through gospel submission. Let's pray. Lord, as we, as we study your word, we are yet again confronted with your call on our life. We thank you that by your spirit, as we're walking through the gospel of Mark, we cannot deny these things. We see it on full display before us. And I see it as convicting. I see it as compelling. And I pray that your people here as well are feeling that, examining themselves in that, uh, seeing where it is that they are a part of this, examining life, examining the things that are getting in the way of your mission, things that we're giving ourselves to that are, are taking so much time. And we know that discipleship takes time. It, it, it takes intentionality. We've seen Jesus Christ take three years and pour into his disciples before he left. And Lord, we also know that through his faithful discipleship and through his empowerment by your spirit, and as he ascended to heaven and gave his spirit to the church, you have empowered us to go. And when we study the book of Acts, we can't deny it either. We see you saving people, calling people to repentance and faith, and you do it through your people. And your people support the church. And your people take risks for the gospel. Lord, would you produce a submission in us that can only come from you, hearts that are fully surrendered to you, to follow you for the rest of our days, and making more disciples for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name.